Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to a bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you with me, as always. Thank you for the time. Thanks for uh, for hanging out. If you want to call in, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. Love to chat with you. We've got a bunch of topics today, including the uh, latest on Trump, Trump's tariff talk, possibility of a trade war. He had a meeting today with the Swedish prime minister. Some interesting things were said there. We'll get into that shortly. Also, some uh, follow up to the conversation yesterday about Sam Nunberg, former Trump advisor. We have uh, some additional information to work with today. Things took a bit of a turn, especially uh, later on in the evening when more information came out about just what was going on. It is unusual, to say the least, to have a former uh, former political advisor become, for a period of three or four hours, the biggest single news story in the country. But that is what happened last night, and we'll talk about why and what was really going on there. And I'll probably tie it into some of what we found out about General Flynn in the last 24 hours, too. How? How do I connect those things? Well, I will tell you. You just have to stay with me. And uh, then also some additional thoughts on guns and uh, gun control that come courtesy of an article written by a, a woman who says that she believes that being a law-abiding gun owner is a thing that a parent would do to protect one's children in certain circumstances. So we will talk about and, and the and response she got to that, as you can imagine, is the anti-gun crowd is psychotic. They're actually crazy. Not all of them, but a lot of them. They, they, are, they are vicious. They are insane. The things that are written, and I see them on Twitter, the things that are written on a daily basis to my former colleague, now NRA spokesperson Dana Lash on Twitter, and I'm sure via email and elsewhere, are disgraceful. Uh, they are so heinous. I, I have to wonder what kind of person writes these things to anyone, never mind someone who's done nothing wrong and is actually uh, a smart person who's nice and trying to engage honestly in the discussion. It's The anti-gun crowd is just completely unhinged. But first, I want to talk a bit about what's going on with, uh, going on with Trump and the latest on the policy front here. Some interesting stuff today in, the, in his meeting with the prime minister because he's getting a lot of pushback. I mean, the GOP establishment is more united on trade tariffs bad than they are on you know almost anything else I can think of other than tax cuts. Right? I mean, the GOP is really opposed to the whole notion of trade tariffs. And tr- Trump showed some some chops today on the issue. He got into it a little more during this conference with the prime minister. I thought it was prime minister of Sweden. Not that we have a prime minister. Hello. 
Uh, but the Prime Minister of Sweden, you know, that's, that's close to the Swedish chef, right? We could we should probably actually have the real Swedish chef as a drop here so people can hear what it sounds like. But uh, the, the, the Prime Minister and the President were talking uh, about, well, they were responding to questions from the press about things like trade. And wait a second. Is this just breaking news right now? I'm on air. Did Gary Cohn just resign? Did that just happen right now on air? Am I crazy? That just happened. Folks, I got breaking news for you as we're here. in the Gary Cohn, formerly of uh, Goldman Sachs fame, the uh, Trump economic advisor, Gary Cohn, is out. Yet another departure from the White House and... Oh me, oh my! Uh, this is this is uh, tying right into what I'm telling you, which is that the GOP establishment was, is completely dead set against tariffs. I'm not saying I think tariffs are a good idea. I'm just trying to explore and learn more about this because Trump certainly seems convinced, and we have had many issues where Trump has been fiercely opposed by the by not just the political and media class in general, but by the GOP in particular. And the more I looked into it, the more information that came out, I thought, well, he's actually right. Some of the discussions that we can have now about immigration are only possible because of Trump. They are only possible because of his campaign and then his presidency. And I'm not saying that every word he utters on immigration is right in line with what I believe. I think sometimes he veers a little bit. I I disagree with him on some things here and there. But the very notion that we could even discuss limiting legal immigration from what it currently is or changing the legal immigration process from what it currently is, that's not even a talk we were having until Trump came along. And so on tariffs, I'm just giving him the benefit of the doubt and trying to see this from as many angles as possible. I understand the Econ 101 approach to this. I know that people will say that we can only finance or we can only finance our government spending if we have this trade deficit. It's better for us if we have the ability to give other countries U.S. dollars, a promise to pay them back at some point if they, you know, so that they can give us their actual production and their labor. This is. I get the, the Econ 101 aspects of it, but I'm trying to take it a few steps beyond and Cone leaving, which just happened, uh, or is happening. They're saying he's set to resign. So this is this has come out. Um, this is another indicator that there are some folks that just won't go along with the Trump agenda. I think I I, I would be surprised if it turns out that Cone is uh, Cone is somebody who all of a sudden is resigning and has nothing to do with the tariff issue. We have this breaking news on him, and and I wanted to share that with you. But here's what Trump said just a, just a couple of hours ago about steel specifically and steel tariffs. I thought it was very interesting. It was worth us spending a moment on. And it's been a very, very unfair trade situation. I'm here to protect, and one of the reasons I was elected is I'm protecting our workers, I'm protecting our companies, and I'm not going to let that happen. So we're doing tariffs on steel. We cannot lose our steel industry. It's a fraction of what it once was. And we can't lose our aluminum industry. Also a fraction of what it once was. 
saying that there's a trans, we didn't have the sound for this, but that there's a trans shipment issue as well. Because one of the big criticisms that we've that he's gotten is, well, we only get a, a very small percentage of our steel from China. And Trump was saying today, and, and I honestly, it was the first time I had heard it. And if it's not true, I want to hear I want to hear that, because if it is true, it definitely changes some dynamics of the discussion. That what happens is China creates and the, the Swedish prime minister was agreeing with them. China creates something like 50 percent of the world's steel or, or, or selling 50 percent of the world's steel. And, you know, huge, huge quantities of this out on the market. And some countries will actually be a middleman for Chinese steel into the United States. That was the claim that Trump was making today. And I hadn't heard that from anybody else. I've, I've read a lot of analysis, the Wall Street Journal and elsewhere on steel and trade tariffs and all this stuff. Uh, which is on tariffs, I think trade tariffs is probably repetitive. Uh, but I hadn't heard that. So Trump seems to have some understanding of this beyond what his critics are willing to concede. And I think it's worth hearing the man out a bit, uh, a bit more. Uh, but Cohn's departure is only going to feed the uh, the narrative, the storyline that this is a White House in uh, in disarray and in chaos. I thought this was uh, this was actually pretty funny. You know, what was it? Yesterday I was on uh, Kennedy's show on Fox Business addressing this issue of this. This is a recurrent storyline. We'll hear it again and again. Oh my gosh, the White House! It's crazy what's going on in this White House. People are running around. It's just like a chaos factory. Uh, here is, uh, well, here's my version of that. The White House is not in disarray because the White House has always been a non-traditional bureaucracy. No, chaos is oxygen That's in the White House, they, and they, it's still breathing. They, 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 Trump is the commander in chief who likes to be on a ship in the storm. I think that's a good way of putting it. Trump today spoke specifically about this, the White House in chaos meme and the notion of staffing turmoil and trouble. And here's what he said. The White House has tremendous energy. It has tremendous spirit. It is a great place to be working. Uh, many, many people want every single job. You know, I read where, oh, gee, maybe people don't want to work for Trump. And believe me, everybody wants to work in the White House. They all want a piece of that Oval Office. They want a piece of the West Wing. And not only in terms of it looks great on their resume, it's just a great place to work. It's got tremendous energy. It's tough. I like conflict. I like having two people with different points of view, and I certainly have that. And then I make a decision. But I like watching it. I like seeing it. And I think it's the best way to go. I like different points of view. Trump is like, embrace the storm, my friends. Embrace that chaos that people are talking about. It's not really chaos. It's change. Change requires adaptation. Change requires ingenuity. But this is a, a fluid situation in the White House. It is unfolding day in and day out. And he's definitely right about it's not hard to fill these jobs. They got a lot more people that want them than can have them. And uh, I just think the storyline there is nonsense. You know, Gary Cohn, tr- trust me, there are plenty of guys with a lot of uh, Wall Street or finance or I- I'd like to see somebody with a more a business background that's not just in the financial services sector. Uh, that's a senior advisor to Trump on economic issues. I think if we're going to talk about manufacturing and re- and um, rebuilding our manufacturing base how in whatever way we can in this country, it'd be nice to have somebody who 
is in the make stuff business instead of the take stuff business that is an advisor to Trump. I think that would be helpful. Uh, but that's just my inclination on that. I, I also want to talk to you about something that came up today um, that you're not going to hear anywhere else, really. I'd be willing to bet. No one else is going to tell you about this on radio today or tonight. You're not going to see news stories on it. But there was something that was slipped into the Swedish prime minister's speech. And uh, the very the very brief overview is is this. You know, Trump, I mentioned to you how we can have discussions about immigration that we could never have before. Sweden is a place that is also having discussions about immigration that it couldn't before, although there's a lot of pushback against it. And the media doesn't seem all that interested in telling the stories about what's happening in Sweden right now. But you know that there are there is now a big spike in grenade attacks in Sweden. Do you know that the spike in grenade attacks is tied directly to the surge in the immigrant population to Sweden? And the Swedish authorities are freaked out and do not know what to do about this. And it is only getting worse. Is this uh, a canary in the coal mine for Western countries that think that they should leave immigration wide open to third world developing countries? We will discuss that and more after the break. We saw just last week the number of people filing for unemployment rate uh, for unemployment going to the lowest level in 49 years. People are getting work. Companies are hiring more workers. This is very, very important. Also, U.S. manufacturing is expanding at the fastest rate in nearly 14 years. These are all very encouraging numbers, and it's undeniable that real people are being helped by the personal tax cuts in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. Middle class taxpayers are getting a tax cut that's to their advantage. The Republicans are being very effective, and and it's worked. When the tax cut bill was passed, it had 25 percent favorable ratings. Now it's over 50 percent. So it's working. There's no question about it. So So I'm not sure the 28. 18 election is going to be as easy as some progressives think it's going to be. I was just... Folks, of what the reality is and also what's going to happen going forward. Reality is that the tax cut has helped Americans put more money in their paychecks, more money in the bank account, and it was a good idea. And they feel it now and they see it. And the fact the numbers are going up as the tax cut kicks in shows us that. And that progressives who have put so much on this Russia collusion narrative, which at this point, you know, if you're not tired of that narrative, you're not paying attention. Right. I I don't care who you are on the political spectrum. If you're not just sick of hearing the breathless updates from CNN, oh, my gosh, Mueller is going to be doing a Xerox of a form any minute now, sources say. I mean, it's just so boring. Uh, and and overblown the whole thing, and it's not going to win them the election. So there's going to be an increasing desperation if things are as they are right now, as the midterms get closer, because it's one thing to to act. You got to you got to remember this. It's one thing to act like the 2016 victory of Trump over Hillary Clinton was some crazy fluke, and you know the Russians and Comey, and there's all these excuses and all this stuff. But what if the Republicans actually gain seats in the midterms, which I don't think is as improbable as some people are pretending it is right now? What if they actually do well in the midterms? What does that say? 
What's the excuse going to be there? You know, Trump's governance uh, in in his the first part of his first term has been effective, even though he was this terrible fascist, warmongering Russian Manchurian candidate. It's all that stuff. I you know think about this. The storylines that they have will not be they will not be saleable to the public. You can't sell this stuff. You can't convince people that all this time on Russia was worthwhile. You just simply cannot. And so I think you should remember that one. Uh, let's go to a quick call here. Andy in Savannah, which I've got on my mind because I'm going to be in Savannah in a few days, assuming the weather cooperates. What's up, Andy? The weather will cooperate. And regardless, it's got to be better than New York, right? That's probably true, yeah. <laughs> this time of year. So, yeah, looking forward to having you here, Buck. So, hey, so I've been uh, – I'm a podcast listener almost exclusively, so I usually tend to listen a few days behind. So, and uh, But the, um, the, the, the whole thing with the shooting down in Florida – now, I, I recently moved up here to Savannah from, from Florida, so it's kind of home for me. But, you know, there's another solution than just, you know, let's, let's take care of all – you know, let's get rid of all the guns, although I find that one hilarious enough. Um, you know, how does somebody get on the campus, get into the buildings? What was he doing there? How, how did he, he shouldn't have been able to get in and is my point. But it's a school, I mean, it's a school building. He, kids are, kids are coming and going for the building all the time, right? All you have to do is say, Hey, hold that right, door right. for me. If you've got a duffel bag full of guns, you're going to be able to get in the school. Oh, I agree. What I'm saying is it's too easy. They oh. need to, they need to put some sort of barrier around the school. Dare I say a wall or a fence, you know, and then you can control, you know, you can control the access better because now all you got to do is look at the people who are coming through the gates or the doors or whatever. Yes. And did you realize how and let's just, yeah, I get it. Did you realize how expensive it would be to put controlled access gates and walls up around every school in the country? A, a fence, a chain link fence. You, you, I mean, would it be, a, a, a chain link fence. I mean, you think that's going to stop the I mean, I, I'm confused as to how we. They probably have fences up at a lot of schools. I mean, I'm confused. Why you think this is a security measure that would stop somebody from getting access who looks like a student under the school well, it, grounds? It it would make it more difficult. And the, and the other thing is 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 that you know perhaps looking like a you know they should do more than just saying well he looks like a student. Uh, well, I like you, know. Annie, but I'm not I'm not sold on this one. We'll have to talk about it when I'm in Savannah. I'll see you then, and team, I'll be right back. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. We have our share of domestic challenges, no doubt about that. In 2015, we received 163,000 refugees seeking refuge. We changed the legislation, so now we've decreased the number of refugees entering Sweden, and we're also putting pressure on the other European Union countries to take their share of the responsibility. We also have uh, problems with crime, organized crime in Sweden, shootings, but it's not like you have these no-go zones. Uh, we, we, have, uh, we have dealt with it. I'm dealing with it every day. That's the Swedish prime minister who met with Trump earlier today and uh, had a press conference. Some very interesting things were said in that answer and in the, in the press conference overall. So he says, you know, we don't have no-go zones. All right, that 
may or may not be the case. I've talked to people who have been in what they call no-go zone. It really just ma- it, all that matters is how you define a no-go zone. It's not that there are barricades and checkpoints preventing people from going into them, but it's if you go in, it's dangerous and you probably shouldn't go in. Hence, no-go zone. Dangerous for certain people. But you don't have to take my word for it. Here's a report in the Times that I wanted to just give you a, a sense of what's going on in Sweden. Because you notice the prime minister there said, yeah, we changed our legislation about refugees. But why? Refugees are the, the, the lifeblood of a, of a wonderful and diverse and vibrant society, right? Re- refugees are the future, right? Isn't, and immigrants and all over the world. and all the, It's always good. There's no downside. Some people might try to say, well, there's upside, but there's also downside. No, no downside to refugees, immigrants from impoverished, war-torn countries. The more, the merrier. That had been the Swedish, uh, Swedish mantra until recently when things changed a bit. And here is how they have changed. This from the Times just a few days ago. Quote, In the Stockholm suburb of Varbigard, it was not unusual to see the figure of a 63-year-old man peddling a bicycle home after the end of his shift as an aid for disabled adults hunched against the icy wind of a Swedish winter. Daniel Zuniga had just finished a night shift on a Sunday last month and was cycling home with his wife when he spotted a spherical object lying on the ground, stopped and reached down to take it in his hand. It was an M79, M75 hand grenade, manufactured in great numbers for the Yugoslav National Army and then seized by paramilitaries during the Civil War in the 1990s. The grenades are packed with plastic explosives and 3,000 steel balls. Well suited for attacks on enemy trenches and bunkers, Mr. Zuniga touched it, and he set off the detonator. The shockwave was so powerful that Mr. Zuniga's wife, Juana, riding ahead of him, was blown off her bicycle and sprawled on the ground, mottled with shrapnel wounds. She turned and tried to crawl toward her husband, she told a reporter later on, but the police who had been patrolling nearby kept her back. Her husband was killed. In this blast, you might be asking, what the heck is a grenade doing on the ground in an otherwise quiet and relatively uh, picturesque, sleepy suburb of Stockholm? And the answer is that there has been a rise in grenade attacks in Sweden in the last couple of years. And the spike has been noticeable. According to the official statistics in Sweden, which keep in mind, they are playing games with the statistics constantly there. I'll get into some of the why in a moment, but they're undercounting things. Maybe it's hard to undercount grenade explosions, but other aspects of crime and violent crime, they are intentionally undercounting and ignoring as much as they possibly can because they don't want diversity to be a casualty of crime statistics in Sweden. You see, isn't it it interesting we can have this discussion about what's going on in foreign countries and see it objectively? But we try to talk about changing immigration policy in our own country and looking at 
uh, illegal immigration and impact on crime, and it's automatically you're shouted down with cries of racism, right? Xenophobia, Islamophobia, whatever, whichever one is most effective as a means of silencing discussion. That's what they'll use. But here are the official Swedish statistics. In uh, 2015, 45 hand grenades were seized by the police in Sweden. Remember, folks, this is a country of 10 million people. So this is a country that has basically the population of New York City, where I am right now. So keep that. So, so instead of thinking of it as, oh, a foreign country had this, think of this as a, 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 you know, the largest U.S. city. These were the crime statistics for it. Uh, Ten detonations. In 2015, in 2016, there were 55 grenades seized in Sweden by police, 35 grenade detonations. 39 grenades seized in 2017, 21 grenades detonated. I mean, these are dozens of times that people I remember a detonation means, generally speaking, that this has been deployed and it's in gang warfare between who wants to guess Immigrant gangs. In fact, the arms market from Eastern Europe has become such a uh, such an uh, has such an open door into Sweden. Actually, a lot of it via Denmark that the reporting is that you buy the AK-47s and they throw in the grenades for free. And that's one of the reasons why in gang warfare they're using these grenades, because they've just got them. Who wants to guess what a grenade on the black market in Sweden? By the way, I'll say this. It's not easy to buy a grenade in the United States on the black market. I work for the NYPD. Uh, I can tell you that. What was the last time you heard about a grenade attack here, folks? It's been a while, right? Remember, Sweden, 10 million people, not that big a place. Dozens of grenade attacks and getting worse. This isn't even taking into account the drive-by shootings, which involve AK-47s. Uh. So, you, you know, you've got these these bombs that are going off now, these, you know, small handheld bombs that are being deployed. And uh, they're the Swedish government's looking around like, whoa, what's going on here? And it's part of this armor arms race among immigrant gangs that are able to buy hand grenades in the open market. Hand grenades cost about 12 bucks in Sweden right now. You can buy a hand grenade for twelve dollars. That's what they say in this article. So. So what is this telling us here, folks? Oh, and I would note that uh, this is also the same country where police officers who say the statistics are being suppressed, that the government is lying in order to protect the perception of its policies when it comes to immigrants. Hello, anybody? Anybody getting a tingle? This isn't the only place where this kind of thing happens. Police in in, uh, Sweden who question the official statistics and raise the obvious point that this is a direct result of predominantly Muslim immigration from war-torn countries and refugees from Muslim countries are not just hounded by the press and you know by the rest of polite Swedish society. The state investigates them for inciting hate speech. So if you are in Swedish law enforcement right now and you're saying, hey, all these grenade attacks are the result of immigrant gangs that are going after each other, that also go after the police, I would note, that are creating these no-go zones, you not only 
won't get the additional resources and attention you're looking for to keep your community safe. You will be investigated and possibly brought up on charges for hate speech. How's that for law enforcement support and policy, right? It is crazy. But you'll notice the Swedish prime minister said, yeah, we're going to change things a little bit. We're going to switch things up. Oh, you mean that the diversity at all costs, at any costs, immigration uh, is the the building block of future generations for Western European countries and Western civilization in general? You mean that there's maybe some reason to believe that there's a trade-off at least that's made there? That it is not in fact the case that Syria and Afghanistan are in all cases sending us their best, so to speak? You see, I'm aware of when they do send us their best, right? We told the story just last week about our friends from Black Rifle who made sure that they took care of one of their own, an Afghan commando, a door kicker who had been fighting along U.S. troops. That is sending us their best, right? And by the way, our government at the time was not taking good care of that guy, and uh, the veterans from Black Rifle stepped up and helped him out. But as a function of policy, you're talking about refugees in a place like Sweden— They've taken hundreds and hundreds of thousands. In a country of 10 million people, a few hundred thousand refugees starts to have an impact on the culture, on the politics. Things change. And you see this with you know, these bomb attacks, these grenade attacks in Sweden. How many of you even, just be honest with me, how many of you have even heard about this? That there's a surge in grenade attacks in a, in a little quiet, otherwise you know, safe and peaceful country of Sweden? Oh, you mean that there's not a lot of interest in telling that story? I mean, people, yes, the New York Times will cover it. I mean, the Times covers dozens, hundreds of things on any given day, as do all these other major newspapers and newsrooms. Haven't seen it leading, leading any evening news broadcasts, have you? Swedish prime minister just happened to be meeting with Trump today. You think maybe somebody would point this out. Yeah, we've got a little bit of a crime problem in Sweden. Really? You've got people throwing grenades at each other in Stockholm, folks. I think this is noteworthy. And I think it also goes to show that one of the effects that we have of the Trump era is that we are even able to discuss these things. And maybe he's even emboldening some other political, political, not even political groups, just politically minded citizens in places in Europe and elsewhere to say, hold on a second. Uh, We need to have a talk about this whole refugee uh, diversity frenzy. And look at what it's really doing to the cohesiveness of our society and to rule of law and to our communities. Time for that discussion in Sweden. Discussion that we need to keep having in this country, too, isn't it? More specifically on illegal immigration, not on refugees, per se, but similar ideas, similar things at work. Um, So the Swedish prime minister, I thought that was that really jumped out at me today. I want to follow up to the. Nunberg a palooza from yesterday so we'll get into that and then also very interesting piece on uh, how a parent feels about owning a gun uh, in the New York Times we'll get into that and more stay with me so yesterday there was that uh, stretch where we had on on both it's it's unusual to see the the, the cable networks 
you know, carrying a story at the same time that's really a commentary story. It wasn't a breaking news story. They were all running the Sam Nunberg thing simultaneously at one point. I mean, it was like MSNBC, Fox, CNN, they're all covering Nunberg. And as I told you guys yesterday, I, I know Sam a little bit. Some, some friends of mine in the business know him very well. I know him a little bit, um, although I, I had uh, reached out to him recently just to sort of check in and kind of wanted to ask him some stuff. And, and then I, I didn't realize that he was going to have quite the uh, on-air bonanza. I don't know what you'd call it, uh, whatever that was that was going on yesterday. And we played a lot of the audio for you. But I thought he was just going rogue. And we were playing, we played some of his sound bites on the show because initially the story was the ref was the refusing to go with the Mueller probe. And then today I or last night and then into today I saw more of it and it seemed like actually Sam was having a uh a tough time. I don't know if we'd call it an episode or but he was he was having a, a rough a rough go of it and, and when I hear that Aaron Burnett asked him on air if he was drunk because she could smell liquor on his breath. Well now We've crossed over from this guy is an interesting fellow with with a news. It is newsworthy when somebody who is subpoenaed by the special counsel says, nope, not going to do it. You know, it was ties to Trump. That is newsworthy. So there was I have no uh, no problems or qualms with the coverage of that. But then it turned into a kind of human disaster tourism. You know, there was a little bit of a, you know, joyriding in somebody else's uh, pain and, and embarrassment that was going on with some of the media last night. And I found that really there's there's a line. There's a boundary. I'm not going to pretend. Look, I covered it here. I called Sam. I wanted him to join in. I didn't realize that. I mean, I didn't smell any alcohol in his breath because I didn't see him. Right. I didn't know. Um, but then when I saw some of the additional interviews that he was giving, something was off. And now, as of today, with uh, there's no surprise here at all, but as of today, uh, he has said he will in fact cooperate with the special counsel. Um, there's that, but it made me think. People were asking me today. They said, "Well, you know, you, you what do you think about Sam's uh, whatever we're going to call it? His episode last. I mean, I know I said we're not sure if that's what it was, but Sam's." run on the media last night. I thought he was going rogue. I think actually he was having a bit of a uh, of a tough go. And and I don't like I don't like it when you know when someone's in in a frame of mind where they're having a a rough a rough time and you know you don't want to you don't want to be exploiting their embarrassment in a way that's that's uh, heartless. And I think that there were some outlets that you know it, it was a spectrum. It started out okay, news story, interviews, what's going on. He said some really interesting stuff, but towards the end, when he got into later interviews, and then they kept them on almost a full hour. To Aaron Burnett. That's when I think it's sort of the moment that Aaron Burnett says, "I think you're drunk. I can smell alcohol on your breath." Now it's time to have the producers say, "Okay, no more interviews." And I think they knew well before then too, and they put them on air anyway, and that's that's distasteful. Um, but. Somebody asked me um, what I think of uh, what I think of what happened, and you know I wanted to walk you through my analysis of this and bring another figure in Trump's orbit into this discussion, and that is General uh, Michael Flynn, because I am not just running out of attention span for this special counsel probe. 
I'm also running out of patience for it as an American, as a person who believes in what is fair, what is right, due process, and the rule of law. I think this is an abuse. I think it, it is an exploitation of DOJ authorities. I think it is wildly politicized. And one part of this that does not get nearly enough attention is the damage that is being done to real people every day. So that is a subject that in the next hour I want to return to with you, and then we'll talk about a really compelling editorial written by a mom about how she has guns to protect her kids. We'll be right back. Our sponsor this half hour is Global Verification Network. If you are running a business and you're going to be either hiring people or engaging with a new really important client, you got to know who you're getting into bed with, so to speak. You have to know what their background is. Are these people or are these companies? Is this an individual you can trust? Global Verification does the best background investigations and vetting in the business, and they are all veteran-owned and operated. No data or client information is ever offshore, and their employees are located here in the United States. You call Global Verification Network for your business needs, my friends. A person answers the phone. The CEO is a world-class guy. I trust him completely. You should, too. Check it out. Go to mygvn.com. That's mygvn.com. Or call 877-695-1179, 877-695-1179, and say you heard about it on the Buck Sexton Show. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Welcome to Hour 2 of the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Great to have you with me. Thank you so much for joining we got some breaking news here. Trump's chief economist, Gary Cohn, chief economic advisor, is out the latest to depart this White House. I'm not worried. About, I'm not worried about it. I'm not mad at you, Gary Cohn. I understand you got other things to do. One thing I'd like to know, and this is in the may not make me the most popular guy in the world file, but it is in the keeping it real file. You know that it used to be, I think it still is the law, that if you had to divest yourself of shares, let's say of a company like Goldman Sachs, and you went to work for the government, that you were exempt from paying federal income tax because you were forced to sell those shares. Well, let's say you have like 50 or or $100 million of Goldman Sachs stock, and you go work for the White House as a... Uh, the Treasury Secretary, for example, or a Chief Economic Advisor. It is my understanding that you, if not get a total exemption, certainly get a very preferential tax treatment uh, of that income once because you are forced to sell it to divest, divest yourself of those interests. That is quite a windfall. And I would like to know how many of those who take senior administration posts and stay for a year and leave... Fall under, oh, you're not going to hear other folks asking about this. I want to know. I would like to know if that is, in fact, still the case, if that is still happening. But Cohn is out, and they're saying it's because of tariffs, which I've been talking to you about in the last hour. And, and I'm trying to take a, if not contrarian, at least an open-minded point of view on this, right? We know Trump loves growth, loves jobs, and knows that the heart of the success of his presidency is the economy and how's it doing immigration is tied to the economy but the economy has to be a centerpiece of it um 
So that's the breaking news I have for you here on Cone. Uh, you've got CNN writing that stock futures plummet as news that Gary Cohn resigns. Yeah, I mean, who knows if that's stock futures plummet. They'll be fine again tomorrow. Meanwhile, you got Joe Manchin, West Virginia, saying, running, making the rounds on Fox News, saying that he agrees with the Trump tariff plan. Now, is that just because Manchin is in a state that would specifically benefit from a uh, revitalized steel and aluminum industry? Ah, we'll have to see. We'll look into it. But just to return for a moment, if I can, to this story from yesterday about uh, Sam Numberg and how it went from breaking news story to pretty clear exploitation. I mean, this was the real turning point on CNN last night. So, Sam, I have to ask you one other thing. Yes, ma'am. And it's an awkward question to ask, but, you know, I've, I've interviewed yes. you before. You're sitting very close to me. Yes. We talked earlier about what people in the White House were saying about you. Yeah. Talking about whether you, you, were, you were drinking or on drugs or whatever they uh, had happened today. Um, talking to you, yeah. I have smelled alcohol on your breath. Well, I, I have not had a drink. You haven't had a drink, so that's no. not... No. So I, I just, because it is the talk out there, again, I know it's awkward. Let me just get give you the question well, that you can uh, categorically uh, answer No, nope, you categor- have you had a drink answer, today? My answer is no, I have not. Anything else? No. 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 Besides my meds. Let me just say that that's a conversation that as a, as a journalist, as a multimillionaire, Journalist, I would note, uh, Aaron Burnett is well into uh, seven figures territory over at CNN in terms of her salary. Very, very well compensated. Why Aaron Burnett makes like three or four million dollars a year or whatever it is. It's close to that. And why so many other journalists out there who I think have a better skill set and just more bring more talent to the table or you know, maybe make it seven figures. If I mean, six figures, not seven figures, six figures if they're lucky. Yeah. Uh, that's a conversation that I don't even know how to have it. I don't, these things make it's not fair, folks. Life is not fair. But that's, I suppose, separate from this discussion. Aaron should know better. She should have asked Sam that stuff off camera and made the executive call on her show that she was not going to put somebody that she believed, whether he admits it or whether he agrees or not, not going to put somebody on air that is uh, inebriated or is in the middle of some kind of a uh, mental health episode one way or another. And so they crossed over. But I, I want to note that this is this is not actually surprising. Because for the for the anti-Trump left, uh, there are really no rules in this game. There's no decency. There's no integrity. There's no sense of fair play that uh, will govern how they do their jobs in the media. And I'm also reminded today of the cost of the approach here. Remember, it's because the media demanded a special counsel that we have a special counsel. It's because Comey is a grandstanding fraud who used the media as his mouthpiece to demand a special counsel that we have a special counsel. And now today, a story about General Flynn, someone who spent uh, decades serving his country in the United States Armed Forces, uh, was the director of the Defense Intelligence Agency. And the story today is that he has had to sell his home. He's had to sell his home to pay for uh, legal bills. He's already pleaded guilty, folks. Sell his home to pay legal bills. Uh, How do you think that feels after 30 years of, of service to your country? And for what? 
or lying to the FBI about Russia collusion that never happened. Not even clear that he lied to the FBI. The FBI apparently wasn't sure that he lied to the FBI. But later on, they became sure enough that they would put forward a felony charge, mark him as a convicted criminal, and ruin his life. And for what? There are real costs here, folks. There are casualties in this special counsel witch hunt. Just as there were casualties in the witch hunts of old. That's why it's such a good term to use. This is not without pain. This is not without loss. The left and the media apparatus that supports it, CNN, MSNBC, and the rest, they present this whole special counsel situation as though it's, you know, we just want to get to the truth. We just want to know what happened. You know, just the facts. No, this is a, a, a wild, rogue elephant trampling villagers left and right. That's what this is. It's gone way beyond its mandate. It is crushing people just for the purpose of justifying its own existence. And Flynn is just one of the latest casualties in this whole thing, his life. I mean, you know, he's probably not going to go to prison because he pleaded guilty. He could, though. He could serve some time. But his reputation is ruined. He's a convicted felon. Now he has to sell his home. You know, And for a lot of you listening, I know you probably, maybe you know, you're still paying off mortgage on your home. Um, you're, maybe you've been lucky enough, fortunate enough, worked hard enough that you paid it all off already. But imagine you had to, lo- you had to lose the place that you call home because of what is effectively a technicality of an investigation that's just all about politics. How do you explain that one to your wife and kids? How does that one feel? Not nearly enough attention, I think, on this part of the, this part of the issue. And, and why I'm thinking about it as well right now is not just the Flynn story broke, but also, you know, Sam Nunberg uh, may have been rattled by the subpoena from a special counsel that could cost him tens of thousands of dollars. Look, if I got a subpoena from a special counsel, I don't have tens of thousands of dollars to spend on lawyers to keep me out of prison. I don't know what I'd do. I'd have to go beg for money from my family or friends or something. You know, I wouldn't be able to do it. So I feel for Sam. You know, people are saying, oh, well, and what could have caused him to have some kind of stress-related incident like this? I'm pretty sure the hyper-partisan and preposterously politicized special counsel investigation saying that we want all records of your communications, we want you to testify, and oh, by the way, our favorite game to play is, whoops, you lied about something minor, now you go to prison. That may have added to his stress just a little bit, don't you think? The same folks who sleep sound as babies at night knowing that they have ruined a patriot like General Flynn's reputation, and I'm, if they haven't already, they're going to bankrupt the guy. They got no problem with that at all. Russia collusion? Nah, he didn't do any of that. But, you know, we think maybe he lied to us. We're not sure, but let's go with he lied to us. Mueller's folks, look, power-mad prosecutors are the most dangerous political force in the country. Don't forget it. Ruin lives, and there's almost no accountability. There really is no accountability. Prosecutors have to flagrantly violate the law for there to be any real consequences for their actions. And if it falls within their discretion, just being a dirtbag, oh, they can get away with that any day of the week. Look back at Mueller's overzealous prosecutions of the past, and none of this is surprising. None of this is surprising at all. So 
So what happened with Sam? I don't know. What's happened with General Flynn? People that are just collateral damage of the whiny, self-obsessed snowflakeism of the, oh, Hillary should have won the election. Russia made Trump win the election. It's pathetic. And people are actually losing things as a result of it. Real things. They're losing their respect. They're losing the uh, the respect of their peers. They're losing the dignity of being able to stay in their own homes. Uh, They're losing their life savings, their ability to work. And what what have we seen to justify this? Oh, yeah, that's right. An indictment against 17 Russian clowns that are never going to be extradited. That set up some social media accounts. Ooh, Mueller is America's G-man, really keeping us safe. It's a joke, except it's not funny at all. Going to a quick break. We'll be right back. I should share with you, team, this editorial written by Bethany Mandel in the New York Times. Title is, I wanted to be a good mom, so I got a gun. Let me just give you some of uh, what Bethany writes here. A few months after my father left our family home for good, my mother heard me screaming in the middle of the night. It was the kind of scream that made her grab her rifle in one hand and some ammo in the other. It was a spring night, and I was sleeping with my window open, which was right above my bed. I loved breathing in the fresh air. That night, in that open window, I heard the banging of a ladder, and by the time my mother made it into the room and began loading her gun, a man was about to climb in. She said something along the lines of, Bethany, come over here. I don't want you to get his brain matter on your face. I backed up behind her, and my mother raised her gun. The would-be intruder slowly backed down the ladder. As he climbed down, my mother approached. The barrel of her rifle was inches away from his face, and she told him, Next time you come here, I won't hesitate. She had her gun pointed at him through the window on his way down, and as he went down the ladder, she grabbed the top and shook it, just to put the fear of God into him one last time before he fled. Um, My mother admired Ralph Nader and voted for the Green Party, But there was an issue in which she was not the most progressive person in the room. Uh, She owned guns. Um, This is a very interesting perspective, very worthwhile perspective from Bethany, who's I'm familiar with her work. She's a conservative uh, writer and uh, pundit. But she's saying, look, I I had experience as a as a young young girl with my mother defending our home with with a firearm. This is not some theoretical that doesn't occur countless times across the country. She experienced it herself. And this notion, and this is what she's combating, this notion that anybody who cares about kids must be opposed to guns is obviously directly at odds with what I'm sure many of you feel listening to the show, which is, no, I care about my kids, so I have guns to protect them. I care about my family, so I'm armed, whether just at home or some of you conceal or open carry, I'm sure, as well. And that's why you believe in the Second Amendment and exercise your right to bear arms. It's not because you don't care about kids. It's because you do care so much about your kids and any other kids that you could defend if you had to under the circumstances of you being armed and there being a mortal threat in your vicinity. 
Here's how she uh, finishes her piece. Um, A compromise will require gun control activists to confront the lie of one of their favorite talking points, that gun rights supporters care more about guns than children. For many, support for gun rights is motivated precisely by our devotion to protecting our kids. Uh, well said by Bethany here, and a very important aspect of this. She's, you see, this upsets the left, and I'm going to get into some of the backlash that she has had as a result of writing this piece in just a moment. But one of their favorite versions of moral blackmail on the issue of gun control is to say, you either agree with us or you don't care about kids. You either want to ban certain kinds of firearms or all firearms in private hands in this country, or you're in favor of children suffering horrific violence in schools and elsewhere. That's the that's the uh, dishonest, but unfortunately somewhat effective moral blackmail that they employ. As you can imagine, the moment that someone with this experience and with the writing skills that Bethany brings to bear uh, confronts that favorite trope of the left for the purposes of gun control, there's a tremendous amount of backlash. And this is what, you know, when I am in the uh, the bowels of social media and seeing the punditry mix it up on a constant basis, this is the kind of stuff that you'll come across. I don't know how many of you know Shannon Watts. She is a gun control activist. Um, I, for, I forget forget the name of her. Moms Demand Guns Control or something like that. She has some organization. And I know that she often has gone after, once again, my former uh, colleague and, and friend Dana Lash in ways that are just, just despicable. I mean, she's just nasty. But this you've got to really read it to believe it or hear it to believe it. So I'll tell you what happened. So Shannon Watts on Twitter responds. So Bethany is dealing with a lot of, uh, a lot of heat here because of this piece she wrote. And in a response to another tweet, Bethany wrote the following. I took my mom off life support at 16, had my father hang himself when I was 19, and grew up in a single wide trailer in Northrop's trailer park in upstate New York. Besides that, I've been truly blessed. She was obviously engaging in a bit of uh, you know, self-deprecating humor here, um, but she's telling that she had obviously had a tough go. Um, she's had a, a tough go and, you know, that's what she's, uh, she starts out with, come on now, neon. Uh, I didn't see the beginning of this exchange. Uh, this is to a, another Twitter account that I know neon taster. I'm not, I don't know who that is, but it's a pretty well followed account anyway. But in response to that very difficult series of events that Bethany lets out from her life, Shannon Watts, the gun control activist, writes this because now Bethany's the enemy, you see, because she wrote this piece about how people who own guns want to protect their children. So Shannon Watts, gun control activist, writes to Bethany in response to her talking about how she lost her mom and her dad. Quote, again, Bethany, your white skin makes you less likely to be at risk as a gun owner, regardless of your hard scrabble background. I guess you don't believe in racism. Uh, how someone could be so completely detached from the sympathy that one should give to somebody that has laid out this story, how one could be so just tactless 
and heartless is really an indictment of the insanity of the left on gun control here. Uh, It is hard to believe that any human being would write something like that to somebody else. But when it comes to gun control, the left, Shannon Watts, all the rest of them, they, they just take no prisoners. They're looking to annihilate the opposition. We'll be right back. Korea threatens the entire global community through its unlawful nuclear and ballistic missile programs and proliferation activities, including its arms exports to Africa. It doesn't just involve our allies in Europe or Asia. It doesn't just include countries with long-standing ties to the DPRK like China and Russia. This is and must be a global effort. There is Secretary of State Rex Tillerson talking about the latest with North Korea, some very interesting developments there. You have Kim Jong-un saying that his regime, North Korea, is willing to negotiate over their nuclear program. Now, let's step back for a moment before we get too excited or too far down this pathway. This is clearly the place on the globe with the greatest likelihood of a major conventional military conflict in the near term. With the United States, leaving out other countries. But if we are going to have a big problem with a country in the next six to 12 months on the military side of things, I think North Korea is the most likely place where we could say nation. We could see nation state to nation state conflict that also involves two nuclear powers. Right. And. One of the understandings we have whenever we have approached. North Korea as an issue in the past is that the North Korean regime will not under any circumstances negotiate over nukes because nukes are essential for regime survival. That if they were to consider giving up their uh, nuclear weapons, then there would be the very real possibility that the regime could implode, that you would have a coup and all that stuff. And if you're the capo of a maniacal crime family that is running what is a glorified prison camp with nuclear missiles pointing out of it, you probably don't want to be in a situation where you lose your grip on power. So nukes are the apex of force. Therefore, North Korea can't, if it, if the Kim dynasty is going to stay in, in charge, stay in power, can't negotiate over nukes. So we have been told, right? Perhaps things are changing. In fact, Trump was asked about this today in his uh, meeting with the Swedish prime minister. And here is what our commander in chief had to say. Do you believe that North Korea's recent willingness to talk is sincere or is it an effort to buy time for their nuclear program? And to what do you owe this recent uh, openness to talk? Me. No, I think that (sighs) nobody got that. Trump makes a joke about how it's him. But I would note that there is the possibility here that Trump is, in fact, the X factor. We've been told that his tweets, I mean, it has been raised for a while now by the media that unless someone in the White House physically seizes Trump's 
smartphone out of his hands. I don't, I don't know if it's an iPhone or whatever it is, but unless unless they seize it from him, Trump could stumble into a nuclear conflagration with the wrong tweet, right? He called Kim Jong-un Little Rocket Man, which is a very catchy nickname that I think is going to uh, stick around for quite some time. Um, he has been bellicose in his rhetoric, and for a while at least, they were saying that there was the very real possibility of... Trump pushing us into an open conflict. And Honolulu was on the hit list or Hawaii was on the hit list of places Kim would go after because of Trump's recklessness. And we remember then that's why the the missile scare, the incoming missile scare, which turned out just to be a very incompetent government employee. uh, But that's why it had some uh, some bite at the time, because it seemed like. Given all the talk over Hawaii and what was going on there, there was the possibility of a, you know, the realistic thought processes behind a missile strike on North Korea were there. But now I'm going to get into what I think is actually happening. Because this ties into maybe Trump is the X factor, the great negotiator, and he's going to figure all this out and he's got this thing ready to go. There's another possibility, uh, a very different one, and that is that North Korea is trying to play us here. And that would be in keeping with historical norms for the Kim dynasty. Remember, there was this whole charm offensive at the Olympics. In fact, Kim's sister, uh, Kim Jong-un's sister, who attended the Olympics, was received warmly, was really celebrated by much of the media, notably CNN and others. And was compared favorably, uh, was compared favorably to uh, Trump and Pence, right? So the the dictator's sister, who's the head of the propaganda committee for North Korea, by the way, it's not like she's just some bystander here who, because of her ties of you know her her ties of uh, a familial lineage, was brought into this. Uh, but the media was willing to say that she did a good, you know, she presented herself well and she's fascinating and stole the show and all this stuff right because there is nothing there is no level that the left-wing media will not go to there is no level of debasement that is too much if they think that they can at the same time harm the trump administration in some way or another but i I think this is very unlikely to go anywhere i think north korea wants to get some sanctions relief I think that they're trying to negotiate their way out of a tight spot. Trump has increased the pressure on them. They are tracking down any ships that engage in shenanigans to try and get around the sanctions. And North Korea is just generally speaking, um, just, just doing whatever they can, being deceptive here in the hopes of achieving what they've achieved in the past, which is to get concessions from the international community without really changing their behavior in one way or another. So uh, that's what I that's what I see happening here. I would love to think that this could be the greatest diplomatic and national security victory of the post-Cold War era because that's what denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula would be. But it is much more likely, uh, and all indicators still point in the direction of this being a head fake. All right, we'll be right back. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, Farrakhan after the break. Stay with me. So we have to ask the question here that many in the media are going to want to avoid. But why is it that 
Louis Farrakhan, the uh, vile anti-Semite and leader of the Nation of Islam. Uh, why is it that Louis Farrakhan is not just accepted in polite society, but is in fact still treated with reverence by the Democrat Party, Democrat politicians, all the way up and down the chain of command and power will kiss the ring, so to speak. They will visit with Farrakhan. They'll talk to Farrakhan. None other than Barack Obama himself, folks. During his initial campaign run for the presidency, you remember that photo that a journalist had, but figured, you know, I'm not sure that a photo of Barack Obama meeting with, smiling with, and shaking hands with Louis Farrakhan's a good look for hope and change 2008. So they just buried it. They decided that it would be better to, to hide that one for the public. See, that's the media just straight up stacking the deck for the left, for the Democrats. That's, that's what they do. We keep catching them doing it, and they keep saying, what do you mean we don't stack the deck? Well, what about this time? Okay, maybe once. And then we say, well, what about this time? Okay, maybe twice. What about this time? You're mean. I mean, they've got nothing. They can't actually engage on this point. They can't engage in this debate because it's so obvious. And yet Farrakhan just recently, just recently gave a speech where he said the kind of things, the kind of disgusting, hateful things that for any other figure in public life would be a career ender you would be done no ifs ands or buts here is what farrakhan had to say he talked about their grip in hollywood and how the jews were responsible for all of this filth and degenerate behavior that hollywood is putting out turning men into women and women into men Oh, there's, it's, it's worse. It's even worse. I will credit Jake Tapper uh, with at least being willing to point this out. He went to Twitter to uh, say the following. On Sunday, the Reverend, uh, Reverend Farrakhan gave his Savior's Day 2018 address attended by thousands, including one of the co-founders of the Women's March. Uh, shortly after, uh, in this video... Farrakhan proclaims that the, quote, powerful Jews are my enemy, end quote. At another mark, Farrakhan begins approvingly quoting some of the anti-Semitic comments uh, made by President Richard Nixon in the Oval Office um, and by Billy Graham in the Oval Office, according to Jake Tapper here. At 2.59 in the video, Farrakhan approvingly cites Nixon and Graham uh, attacking, quote, Jews' grip on the media and Hollywood. And how the Jews were responsible for all this filth. That was the clip we just played for you. Uh, Later on in the speech, Farrakhan calls Jews the mother and father of apartheid, the Jews. Um, He also goes on to say, let me tell you something. When you want something in this world, this is Farrakhan here. When you want something in this world, quote, the Jew holds the door, end quote. For a normal person, any person, I don't even mean just public figures, this would be the end. You, you you would be rightly condemned. You'd be called an anti-Semite, and that would be that would be it, right? This is a public address. This isn't like someone put a microphone in his apartment and he thought he was. Not that that would excuse the sentiments, but I, he's not even hiding that this is how he feels, 
right? He, he's not even pretending that this is the way that he feels. And yet he will be included in the, you know, he's included in the women's march. He is still revered. Um, and this is who Farrakhan is, what we just saw here. And you see, here's what, and here's what Tapper wrote. And again, I, I credit him for on this issue. When people are right, I say they're right. I don't, I don't, I don't do this purely tribalistic my side, their side thing. Sometimes liberal journalists do very good things. I think, uh, for example, Glenn, Glenn Greenwald is just insanely wrong and disingenuous on some issues, but on others, I'm like, yeah, he's right. He gets it. He's correct. And it kind of hurts me when I have to say it, but I will say it. You know, I think that Greenwald actually approaches his craft with some journalistic uh, ethics or at least some sense of speaking truth to power. You know, I mean, we could that's a whole other discussion, but he, I'm just trying to think of people that are I disagree with on a lot of stuff, but occasionally they're really right. And when they're right, I say it. And, ta- you know, Greenwald, for example, on the Russia thing, he's like, this is a joke, right? This is a clown show. We're talking about Facebook uh, ghost accounts and sock puppets and tra- uh, Twitter trolls. This is and this is a national security threat. I mean, w- w- what are they smoking over in over in the Democrat corridors of Congress? But Tapper wrote about the Farrakhan speech, bringing us back into what Farrakhan said here. The difference between Farrakhan, uh, quote, and some members of the alt uh, right whose heinous bigotry has received a lot of attention this past year. Farrakhan has a much larger following and elected officials meet with him openly. The Women's March co-chair Tamika Mallory was in attendance at that speech. I mean, the leftist activist groups, powerful leftist activist groups will still kiss Farrakhan's ring. They will still give him not just a platform, not just respect, but they will elevate him as some kind of power broker. It is a disgrace. I remember some years before I started at Amherst College, Farrakhan was the keynote speaker at the commencement address for the University of Massachusetts, I think. Or maybe it was just a big speech. I could be wrong about him being at the commencement address. Strike that from the record. He was a speaker, though, at UMass. That much I do know. I forget what the speech was specifically. It was a long time ago. It was, gosh, I'm getting old. Uh, But he was a speaker at UMass, invited guest, and... I remember being there when Justice Scalia was an invited guest at Amherst College just down the street from the University of Massachusetts where I was a student and the entire political science department boycott attending the speech, advised other students not to go to the speech. Students wore black armbands to the speech. People stood outside in a duck costume because of Scalia's hunting trip with somebody who had some connection to some company that tied into some Supreme Court business. I mean, it was a flimsy, a flimsy storyline, but they still were making this big deal about recusal and quack quack and duck hunting and all of this. And Scalia had a daughter who was a student at the time and and was well known. It was actually I, I always really liked her. And she was a couple of years ahead of me. And they still were disrespectful while Scalia was... I mean, this is a small college that's getting a sitting Supreme Court justice to come by. He gets protests. Farrakhan gets standing ovations. There's a real problem in our country and in our culture, folks. Um, Why the media isn't forced to answer this question more openly? Why it wasn't a bigger problem 
you know, people say, oh, look at Trump and his record. Okay, so now that we have a little more information here, not only did Barack Obama launch his political career in the living room of a domestic terrorist, Bill Ayers, in Chicago, and not only did Barack Obama sit by his own and by his own admission in a church for 20 years that had a pastor who would say, God damn America, and that 9-11 was the chickens coming home to roost. And you're familiar with all that. He also would gladly take a private meeting with, shake the hand of, and pose for photos with Louis Farrakhan, who is, who is an actual anti-Semite. You know, people throw around these terms, racism, anti-Semite, and oftentimes they're abused. The terms themselves become politicized. They become weaponized to silence people you don't like or... But Farrakhan's actually an anti—he's actually an anti-Semite. And they hit a photo of Barack Obama with him because that would have looked bad, right? But the truth was that he took the meeting. And he took the meeting because Farrakhan still has resonance in some quarters. Farrakhan still has some, uh, some political power, some, some sway. Uh, and, and it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace that he has any following in the black community or any community for that matter. And yet they won't really call him out. They won't give Farrakhan the same treatment that other public figures who have uh, said heinous and destructive things publicly or privately. And not, not, not give him the same situation, right? Won't, won't actually hold him to account. And we should all ask why. And as the media tries to lecture us constantly on Trump and all of his associates, let's all just remember that they refuse, they refuse to say that enough is enough with Farrakhan. We'll be right back. Welcome to Hour 3 of the Buck Sexton Show, my friends. Oh, campus crazies, you are the gift that keeps on giving to conservative commentary. You are uh, bizarre. You are dangerous in your ideology, but you are also entertaining at the same time. Let's get into some of the latest free speech wars on campus here. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with her. She uh, does some very good work. A conservative named Christina Hoff Summers. She's a conservative academic. And she was supposed to give a speech out at Lewis and Clark Law School, which is in Oregon. And this is how. So she was invited by the school and people showed up during her speech. Instead of just letting her speak, they tried to uh, play music to drown her out. So they, they actively shut down speech. They don't believe in counter-argument or counter-speech. They think it's just, you want to speak, but I'm going to yell over you! That's how they think they get their points across. They don't understand how childish this seems to well-adjusted adults. But they started chanting some stuff like... Which side are you on, friends? Which side are you on? No platform for fascists, no platform at all. I mean, it's it's pretty lame. It's pretty pathetic. And you can also tell there are a grand total of about 10 of these protesters there. And these are, you know, I wish we had a better term for them. People call them people call them, you know, a bunch of filthy hippies, but they're not hippies. Hippies are kind of specific thing. They're not hippies. They're certainly not hipsters. 
Uh, I don't know what we can call them other than leftist agitators, but that sounds like I'm reading from a poli-sci manual. So it's not really a great term. Um, You can call them useful idiots, any number of things. Uh, But their chants were about Christina Hoff Summers being a fascist. And for those of you who are wondering, how could an academic like Ms. Summers be called a fascist? What is her big problem? She explains that there's no such thing as campus rape culture, that it's a myth, which it is, which all the numbers show, which anybody who spent any time on a college campus will tell you is is also just obvious. There's no rape culture. If anything, there are now generations of young men who are terrified at retroactive removal of consent, which is something that the the really uh, avant-garde, the, the real zeitgeisty feminists, uh, the, the hardcore feminists believe that, you know, maybe consent isn't even a temporal issue. It's just consent could be withdrawn even after the fact, which is crazy, I know, but they're crazy. They say wacko stuff. And they're saying crazy stuff here. Oh, she also says there's no wage gap, gender wage gap, which is true. By the way, this is an aside. If you remember, we had uh, Professor Peterson on here a while ago. His book, uh, what, 12 12 Rules for Living an Antidote to Chaos, done very, very well. We had him on here during his book tour. And he debated this British woman who's one of these BBC presenters who talks like this. And other than the fact that she talks like this, it's not clear at all that she's read a book or can add or do basic subtraction or multiplication tables. It strikes me that despite her accent, she's a complete and utter moron, but she sounds like this, so she gets to be on television. And she was very upset about the wage gap. And she went after Peterson. Are you telling me there's no wage gap? And he's like, yes. She's, so you're saying women aren't as smart as men? And he's like, no, that's... That's not what I'm saying, actually. That, 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 never did I say that, right? She ended up turning, just as a follow-on to that story about the wage gap, she turned herself into the victim because she was so annihilated online by anybody with more than two brain cells who were like, you keep asking this guy questions, implying he said things he didn't say, you imbecile. Why don't you actually learn how to do an interview? And now she's, eh, I'm being attacked because of my gender. No, you're being attacked because you're an overpaid buffoon, but... That describes most television presenters, at least in England. They have the truth in advertising to call most of these people news readers because that is, in fact, what they're doing. They have all the uh, the intellectual gifts of an actor or somebody who's pitching you toothpaste or ShamWows, one of my favorite products. We need to get ShamWows back. I want, to, I want ShamWows a sponsor because I'd be the new ShamWow guy. But back to uh, what's going on here out in Oregon. So she's getting shouted down here. And as if that's not bad enough, Christina Hoff Summers, because she says there's no rape culture, because she says the wage gap is a myth, which it quite obviously is. Otherwise, why not just only hire women for your company? It would save you 17 percent. The single biggest cost that any business has for the Well, that most businesses have is payroll. You could save 17% over your competitors. I think you'd probably take it, right? The wage gap is a myth. It's a lie. But it is popular. In fact, it's even popular among some conservatives. For saying that, though, Ms. Summers is denounced, shouted down for being a fascist. And these students think that they have a right to... This is the, We've seen the storyline play out time and again. We've had on... Um, 
the uh, author of The Bell Curve, who was attacked at Middlebury, including a female professor with him who was physically attacked uh, while he was at uh, Middlebury College to give a speech. Um, we've seen this with uh, this. I think it was like six hundred thousand dollars they spent on a Ben Shapiro speech security a while back because such loons with Antifa. By the way, Antifa didn't last all that long, did it? Antifa was supposed to be kind of a uh, a cool resistance thing, and sure enough, it uh, it did not last very long at all. Antifa did not stay with the time. Antifa! Woo! There it is. Look at that. Right in the nick of time. One more time. One more time. Antifa! Antifa! One of Trump's greatest hits right there. Antifa didn't last very long, but you'd think that the students on this campus... The hashtag resistance are bad. But you know what's even worse in this video? A dean of diversity, an employee of the school, comes up to Christina Hoff Summers and says the following. 16 and only 26% said yes. A poll in Britain showed 8%. Now the question is, why would a movement... You notice they're they're trying to drown her out with playing music. They're, they're, they're making noise during her speech so you can't hear her speech. This is how now college kids, not even kids, young adults in college think that they're supposed to be debating. But a dean of diversity approached her and asked her to... Speed it up and finish up and take questions. So now even the college employees are very much a part of the problem. They are enablers and defenders of this aggressive anti-intellectualism, which is what's going on on these campuses. These have now become, and when I say now become, we're just seeing them for what they are. It's decades in the making. It goes all the way back. Go go watch PCU. I know I've said this to you before. Go watch it, though. It still stands up. Great movie. Like a fun, good movie. And, you know, I don't even know if you can get away with making it today. I think there would be objections to making PCU today, which is really just a statement of how far things have gone in the wrong direction. Uh, politically correct university uh, was a harbinger of things to come. But the Hoff Summer speech, she gets shouted down, and then the dean comes in, and tells her, "Hey, can you speed it up and take questions? Because we got to get you. We got to get you out of here." What is a dean of diversity anyway? You know, sometimes I think I want to cease being a useful person who at least tries to bring information and entertainment to those who are willing to give me the honor and pleasure of their time. Sometimes I figure, you know, I just want to get the highest paid, lowest impact job possible. I want to be a head of diversity for uh, some place. That sounds great. Uh, for a university, be the chief of diversity. What does that mean? I get to give speeches about how we need to give more diversity? What are your job metrics? Can't be quotas. Quotas are illegal. So what do you do there? The answer is, whenever somebody asks you, do we need more diversity? You say yes. When everyone says, have we achieved our diversity goals? You say no. What do we need more of? Diversity. That's your job. And people get paid for this. Michelle Obama, everybody, don't ever forget it, $300,000 a year to be a diversity uh, chief of a public hospital while Barack Obama was a state senator. True story. It was like two hundred seventy-five dollars Yeah. 
the kind of job you can get with a politically connected husband at the time. It's an amazing gig. 275K diversity? I would do that in a heartbeat. I just sell out, man. I sell out all my principles for the cat, for the cold, hard cash. Just kidding. I'm a warrior for truth and freedom. We're going to hit a quick break. I'll be right back. This has got to be in the file for uh, Sign of the Times. And this is not supposed to be a play on words, but it comes from the New York Times. Dorms for adults, my friends. That is a new trend that is, is becoming a real thing in major cities like San Francisco. Housing in some of these areas like the Bay Area uh, has become so overpriced, has become so difficult to uh, so difficult to afford for we're talking about for working professionals here for teachers, bookstore managers, lounge musicians, copywriters, merchandise planners. Uh, they are moving into dorms. Now, one thing about this um, for a lot of you, I know you're going to say, why don't people just move? But there is a big issue in this country with opportunity being consolidated in certain areas of the country, meaning jobs are much in much greater abundance in some places than they are in others. It also, and this is just a random aside, seems a little counterintuitive to me that something that should be as decentralized as Silicon Valley, software planning, right, which doesn't, you can be anywhere, right? It's uh, the whole notion of being able to work from, being able to work effectively from home and connectivity and all this. Silicon Valley should be on the forefront of it, and yet proximity the valley, as it's called, a different valley than the valley in L.A. Silicon Valley is very, you know, oh, well, who's going to do our IPO on the billion dollar social media app? Whereas the valley outside of L.A. is like, hey, like, who wants to go surfing, bro? Um, at least that's what I've been led to believe by movies. The valley near L.A. is like uh, the San, Fern- San Fernando Valley, I think, is what it's technically called outside of L.A., right? That sounds right. I don't know L.A. very well. I need to spend more time out there. But nonetheless... Uh, you would think that there could be a decentralization of Silicon Valley, and yet people are there, right? If you want to work for Google, you want to work for these places, they have other campuses, but the most jobs are there. In New York City, people say to me, Buck, why can't you, uh, why, why don't you do your job and do it somewhere else, right? And I say to them, well, you know, I, I maybe could work for Premier Radio Network somewhere else in the country, mm-hmm. um, so it's possible, but the headquarters is here in New York City. So the people that make decisions, the the bosses, corporate, they're all here in New York City. And Fox News is here in New York City. CNN is here in New York City. All the different newspapers I could think of are here in New York City. If you're going to be in the news and analysis business, you are just frankly at a disadvantage if you're not in New York City or in Washington, D.C., full stop. And so that means that there are constraints uh, in place. There are pressures, better way to say it than that. There are pressures in place on the housing market that just get to to crazy levels such that now we've got people in San Francisco who are my age who are living in straight-up dorm situations. So you got people in their 30s and their 40s who have a a bedroom, um, but they share a kitchen with strangers. They share a kitchen, they share a living room, and, you know, I, I I understand why this would happen. It's actually good business for some of the uh, property owners that are doing it. Um, they have a wait list. Let me tell you about this. Star City, which is one of these developers in San Francisco, has opened three properties with 36 units. It has nine more in development and a wait list 
of 8,000 people. So there's clearly a market for it, right? There's a market for it, and people get a bedroom. Those of you who live in other parts of America that aren't, that aren't New York City, San Francisco, a few other places, you're going to laugh at this, but you get, a, you get a bedroom of 130 square feet. That is not a huge private space to have, 130 square feet. You're talking 10 by 13 here. That's, um, that's, that's in full-size bed plus, plus small Ikea dresser uh, territory. And trust me, I know, I have lived in apartments here in New York Man, I should just tell you guys some of the places I've had to live. I, I've had uh, multiple roommates. I've lived in, gosh, at this point, four or five different places in New York City on my own. I've had roommates. I've had tiny studio apartments. I've dealt with all, all, kinds, of, uh, all kinds of craziness over the years in these apartments. But I was in one place, I remember, where you actually couldn't, uh, you couldn't open the door and get to the closet at the same time because it would cut off your only pathway. And it wasn't really a closet. It was kind of a dresser. So the stories you hear about how tough it is in New York are all true. And if you watch the show Friends or any of that stuff, you see these expansive apartments that are supposed to be in trendy areas of New York City, but they have rent control on them. Yeah, right. That is fantasy land stuff. We are packed in like sardines here. Um, and and that's happening in San Francisco. But you're seeing this adult dorms. I think it's going to take off. You're going to see more and more of this. Uh, Communal living situations, essentially boarding houses for adults. Um, This is going to happen in cities because it's just crazy. It's crazy what's happening in New York, uh, San Francisco. L.A. is not as bad. It's much more spread out. There's more places to. I've looked at the housing market there. Thought about maybe spending a lot of time out there. Uh, not nearly as bad. Chicago, the housing market's not nearly as tight. But uh, New York, San Francisco, and increasingly Washington, D.C., it is rough. So there's a part of me that thinks it'd be kind of fun, of course, right? If, for for a, at least some period of time. You know, you get to meet your roommates. You all get, but, you know, I like my space now. And by space, I just mean some some semblance of privacy because I don't really have much in the way of space. Uh, so anyway, expect this coming soon to a an urban area near you. Dorms for adults. I wonder if they're going to have uh, black lights and uh, tiki torches. And you know, it's people always think tiki torches now is like a whole other connotation because of, of lava lamps. Thank you. Tiki torches are a college thing, right? It has nothing to do with a bunch of bad people somewhere else. Lava lamps, tiki torches. Um, you know, put like a some kind of Blanket on the wall. That's a decoration. What's that called? Blacklight posters. Thank you. Oh, futon. I have not met a lot of adults who have futons, at least the way that we did in college, which was like a metal contraption with some thin, some thin uh, make believe mattress on it. I mean, certainly not actually a mattress, uh, but I wonder if it's if they're really going to lean into it. You know, I will tell you that um, my my college dorm room was was adorned with all of the above. Uh, I definitely was somebody. I, we had black lights. We had futons. Obviously, a giant television. I lived with three roommates for at least part of my college experience. That's what's happening now, folks. That's what's going to go on. Because millennials now are also boxed out of the housing market. So we got two options, basically. We can either shack up with each other, uh, do this communal roommate situation, or... 
stay with mom and dad. Hey, mom and dad, can we get the basement refinished so I can just stay forever? I just love you guys so much, and I never want to move out. I don't even have to pay utilities. Yeah, that's the millennials' lament, my friend. We'll be right back. Well, team, it's our last segment of the day here in the Freedom Hub. But before I get into all the latest, let me just say that uh, I saw some some news that I found quite a bit troubling. So there's this dating app out there that is called Bumble. And the way Bumble functions is that only the ladies on the app get to make the first move. So you can be on there. But the lady in question has to be the one that says, sup, or hey, which is usually how, as I understand, these things start. Or, hi, how are you, if you want to seem like you're really friendly. But they've decided to get in on the political action here by making a determination for the app going forward. Uh, an act of censorship, if you will, based upon a political Uh, political feeling in the moment, and that is that you will no longer be able to have a photo of yourself on a Bumble app with a firearm. I'm assuming mostly for guys, but there are ladies out there who also like to pose with their firearms. So that is now forbidden. This is a, a cultural slapdown of those who would pose with firearms on a dating app. I will say as soon as I saw the headline, I thought, oh, they better make a carve out. And yes, they did. There is, in fact, a carve out for military and law enforcement. So if you're in your police uniform or you're in your uh, BDUs and, you know, you've got a rifle or whatever, you're, that that's not going to get you banned. But if you're just somebody that's like, hey, I like my AR-15 with the EOTech site and the foregrip and the nope. You cannot take a photo of yourself and put that up on your dating app. And I, I looked for the other obvious exception to this that one would expect. Namely, what if you're a duck hunter? Are we really now going to see somebody who is posting a photo up on a dating app and has you know reflective, a reflective orange vest on, an orange hat in duck hunting season, and the rest of him is camouflage? with a double-barrel shotgun, Elma Fudge style, and you're going to... I know very few people actually hunt with those these days. Usually people have a semi-auto shotgun, but nonetheless. Actually, I don't know what the numbers are on that. I've, I've gone shooting with some double-barrel in my day. Actually, plenty of double-barrel if you're doing skeet shooting, so strike that comment from the record. Nonetheless, if you're out there duck hunting, pheasant hunting, grouse hunting, uh, I don't know, whatever other kind of hunting you've got in mind, Squirrel hunting, for those of you who are so inclined. You could now get banned from the Bumble dating app, which I'm sure very few of you, very few of you have even heard about and even few, uh, fewer of you care about. But I just want to know, this is how it happens, folks. The culture dictates the politics down the line. And if the culture starts to become too comfortable with ostracizing Second Amendment supporters, proponents, including sports shooters. There was nothing about, you know, you could be somebody now who is on the Olympic shooting team. And technically speaking, Bumble will kick you off the app if you're, you know, standing up there with your silver medal. Because, I mean, gold sounds like it's really hard to get. But silver, let's just say, for the purposes of our story here. 
you'd be up there with a silver medal and you will uh, not be allowed. If you have your shotgun in your hands, you'll not be allowed to stay on the app. I just I find this distressing uh, because you're going to see a lot more of this. I know Walmart's also standing behind its previous decision to raise the age limit and change some of what it's willing to sell people in the uh, area of uh, firearms and ammunition. But once it comes into the culture that being a gun owner, we're, we're just going to see a, a bifurcation, a further separation, whereby you now have gun ownership as a make or break thing on a date. You know, there are very few things for me that I feel like are, are a habit or a belief that right away are a deal breaker or would have been a deal breaker when I was a single man out on the scene dating. Now I'm willing to bet there'll be plenty of uh, young women, impressionable millennials among them, predominantly actually impressionable millennials, who are going to say, you know, if, if you're somebody who supports firearms, I just can't continue on this date with you, sir. I'm sorry. And when you say, well, that's crazy, they'll say, well, it's Bumble. Bumble has a policy, as you know, about this. Other dating apps may follow suit. And I just want to note that this is yet another instance of they think they're they think they're standing up against violence in the culture or mass shootings or I, I don't even know what they really think they're doing because this is just crazy but the cultural ramifications of decisions like this should not be underestimated uh, there will be more of this it will be personal it will be personalized such that if you're someone who wants to uh, you know take photos with your firearms you're going to be considered a, a bad human being and they're going to change the way that we interact with each other based on all this but duck hunters need love too folks wank wank duck hunters need love too i don't know why bumbles being so mean and so nasty but nonetheless oh let me i actually jumped uh, i jumped the gun before pardon the expression we're going to get into some roll call after this break coming up here in just a second so stay with me Welcome back, folks. As promised, we are about to get into roll call. I just wanted to note that as we went into the break there, uh, my man Brandon, who is running the board today, um, we've got Brandon and Mike here in the Freedom Hut with me, producer Mike and producer Brandon. Uh, But Brandon told me that he has, in fact, had some success on Bumble. We could say that. He he has been a user of Bumble in the past, Mm -hmm. and so it's, and it can work out sometimes, right, buddy? Yeah, I guess uh, there are plenty of fish in the sea, and you just cast in that line and see what's out there. You know, that there. used to be a dating app as well. Plenty, plenty of fish, fish I did not sea. like. I tried it. Did not like the interface. Didn't like the, didn't like the interface. I'll yes. down on that one. But Bumble gets it done. Yeah, it's a little less creepy than uh, than Tinder. A lot of creeps out there, so it gives it makes women feel more safe, I uh, think. But I thought it was interesting, mm-hmm. you told me in the break as well, that there's a lot of of people who put on their profiles now, mm-hmm. Trumpsters swipe left. 100%. And while I am not a supporter... Per se, I don't want to eliminate. I would date a Trump supporter, but like a lot of qualities about her are great. I wouldn't use that as you know a deal breaker right away. So yes, as for someone who's not a supporter, to have seen a lot of that here in New York City. Yeah, I can imagine in New York, it's there's a lot of that going on. But don't worry, folks. Trumpsters, Trump, Trumpsters, swipe right here in the Freedom <laughs> Hut. You're in safe company. And with that, my friend Brandon, please hit roll call. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Yeah, I feel like I'm out at the party with all of you. 
And uh, that's about as hip as I'm going to get today. So we got uh, coming up in Roll Call. By the way, this is where we go into our Facebook inbox for the show. Also on, because we've got some some new stations that have just joined our affiliate network here in the last week or so. So those of you who are new to the Freedom Hut, want to tell you how this goes. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. You can send a message there. We here in the hut get that message. And we try to read through as many as we can on air. I read everything that comes into that inbox. Also, officialteambuck at gmail.com. And if you ever need to get me some info, you can just send it to me there, old school email style. Uh, and any of you on Twitter, at Buck Sexton, I tweet not not obsessively like many of my media peers, but I, I tweet here and there. And uh, you can also send me your thoughts there. It's always nice when one or two members of Team Buck see me on Fox News and they're like, good job, Buck. Trust me, I appreciate it. Usually I finish... And I'm like, what, what is the meaning of life? I'm just doing all this TV, but what, what is really going on with my day? And it's always nice to get a little pick-me-up from, from a member of the team. So with that, roll call, here we are. We got first up here, Michael, who's being a little salty. Argyle sweaters will never be stylish unless you live in Scotland. Argyle socks are okay because they're largely hidden. For most of my life, by the way, I refuse to wear hats. They gave me a headache and messed up my hair. Plus, when you have a size seven and three quarters head, it's hard to find a hat that fits. Uh, well, let me tell you, my friend, um, I have the same problem. Hats just don't fit my head. And I've gone through this so many times, and I've had so many adults, especially in my youth and in my adolescence, try to just squeeze a baseball cap on the top of my head. And I feel like they were just, you know... They were just harshing my mellow, man. Like, they just weren't really understanding that the, the cranium's huge. It's just too big. You can't. It is like Sputnik. It could explode at any moment. You can't try to hold it down. You cannot hat this cranium. You can only hope to contain it or something like that. So uh, that's where I go with that. Next up here, we've got our friend Duke. Duke is writing me the following. Uh, hold on. Here we, where does it go? Oh, well, where did it go? Here we go. I will embrace the dad bod quote. Buck, buck, buck. Note to Miss Molly, be afraid, be very afraid. Totally off the rails, my friend. Give Miss Molly my phone number. Hey, Duke, back off. None of that, none of that stuff. Uh, you know, it's look, I agree. Dad bod is totally acceptable when you're a dad. I am not yet a dad, therefore I probably should, I don't know, get into the gym and do some of these things. Um, I did. I actually did leg day on Sunday, and I'm so sore. My legs hurt so much now after all of my lifting and stretching and heavy stuff. It was very rough. Um, leg day is no fun. Um, but I'm not yet at a point where you've got to be really jacked before you can start posting memes like leg day. I'm just crying all over the place. Anyway, back to the uh, roll call here. Mary. Oh, wow. Mary, uh, you have written me a lot. Um, so thank you for that. I cannot get into this on the air because it's uh, an essay, but the essay is appreciated. And I will read it in full when I am done here. Uh, so let me get, I will get to that. All right. Uh, next up, Logan. Logan writes, you have to finish Get Out. It's not about what you think it is at all. It's written to be a commentary about white liberals worshiping being black. Mm, Logan, I mean, I, I got through two thirds of the movie and thought it was terrible. 
So the last third of it can't make it a good movie. It maybe would make it a not absolutely atrocious movie. So I will consider going back just so I can say that I finished it so that I can trash it in in uh, in good faith, good conscience, and with full knowledge of of all the facts. So that's what I think is gonna. That's what I think we got there. Um, but thank you, Logan, for your thoughts. Uh, Steve is next up. Um, Buck Shields High, best movie that did not receive any Academy Awards or nominations. Wind River, great movie with a phenomenal message and two wicked shootouts. An intense movie worth renting. Those scenes are right up there with the movie Heat. Um. I completely agree. I've talked about Wind River here on the show. I thought it was very well done. I was impressed. The younger sister of the Mary-Kate Ashley Olsen twins plays the uh, main female lead in the movie, and I think does quite a good job. I think Jeremy Renner also does a very good job. But, uh, yes, I liked uh, liked Wind River, and uh, I, I would recommend it to people for sure. Next up, uh, he also writes here. This is from Steve Still. I haven't tried much Vietnamese food. Might you post a suggestion of what you would suggest as starting and then slightly more complicated food or what you like and why as best as words can describe food? Uh, I love your show, Professor Buck. Thank you so much, Steve. In terms of starting out, in, in terms of like, you know, just getting into it, you know, highly ranked amateur Vietnamese food. I would say anything that involves uh, the the glass noodles is a pretty good way to start. Also, they have a rice pancake. I do not even know. Uh, I do not even know how to pronounce it badly, but there's a rice pancake that they fill with stuff that's amazing. And so I would very much recommend that. You know what? I'll have to do a little research. The most famous dishes is, is pho, which is spelled P-H-O. Uh, that's a, a beef, it's a sliced beef soup, essentially. It's kind of a cross between a soup and a stew. It's very, very delicious, and on a cold day, it's one of the best things I think you could you could find to eat. Um, but, yeah, I, I'll, I'll look for some stuff. Uh, they're big into crispy spring rolls, so that's pretty standard. You can get into that. Uh, sometimes frog legs, because there's that French influence. Remember, it was French Indochina. There's a French culinary influence in Vietnam. Uh, but I'm, I really think Vietnam, uh, Vietnamese food and Vietnamese culture, it's really interesting. Um, I'm, a, I'm a proponent of it. I'm, I'm a fan of checking it out because it, it's quite different uh, from other things that you will experience. And food-wise, I'd go as far as to say it's my favorite Asian food, which is saying a lot because I love Indian food. I used to love Chinese food, but there's too much soy sauce in it. And soy sauce, as many of you who listen to the show know, should be called wheat sauce. Because the primary ingredient after water is, in fact, wheat. And wheat has gluten, so it's like pouring liquid gluten all over my food. So I can't have soy sauce. They have gluten-free soy sauce. I know I have it in my fridge. It's pretty good. In fact, you can't tell the difference. Kayla Marie is next up here. Hey, Buck, I love your show. See, Kayla pays attention. Because I said, if you want me to read your thing on air, best thing to do is start with love your show or great stuff or whatever. People start off like, you face that's usually not going to get me to read it on the air. Although I do this live, so I don't know if sometimes I stumble into a message and I'm like, oh, this person doesn't like me as much as I thought they would. But Kayla seems to like the show. So thank you, Kayla. She writes, I love your show. I just started listening late last year, and I'm glad I found your podcast. You make my daily commute to and from work way more bearable. 
are you ever going to come to the Midwest and have a meet and greet and record a show? Would love to meet you. Shields High, Kayla in Wisconsin. Kayla, it turns out I'm actually coming to the Midwest in about a month. Uh, I will be, or less than that, actually. It's just a few weeks out. I will be in uh, the great state of Indiana. I will be a guest of our fantastic affiliate, WoWo, W-O-W-O, out in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And they have something called Talk Tank. They're getting together me and some other radio hosts. So if you can make it, I know Wisconsin and Indiana sound close to New Yorkers, but they're not that close. But uh, you're going to make a weekend of it in Fort Wayne. I will be there. I will be hanging out. We'll be eating, drinking, and making merry with all of uh, the Team Buck folks in attendance at Talk Tank in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Just type in Talk Tank and Whoa Whoa on Google, and it will pop up. So I will be out there. And those of you in Savannah, as you know, or the Savannah area, this Friday at Nine Line Apparel at their store just outside of, of Savannah downtown, uh, I will be there hanging out with all the Black Rifle guys, Nine Line, whole squad. We're going to have a great time, so you should definitely come check that out. Uh, that'll be this Friday around noon, I'd say, and I'll be there all afternoon. Also, please tell folks about the podcast, share it with them. Just tell them to download it. Say, hey, go on iTunes, download the Buck Section Show. Our podcast family is growing and growing all the time, and that's because of all of you. So with that, got to close up the Freedom Hut for the day. Back with you tomorrow. Shields high.